Welcome to Counter Stories, a program by people of color for people of color and everyone else. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group, Counter Stories producer and VP of programming at Ampers. I'm Don Eubanks, associate of Dendros Group and member of the Malax Band of Ojibwe Indians. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the State of Minnesota. Any comments and opinions that I share are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer. So our last show, we talked about getting out the vote. Um, and we had a guest, Bangsu Victor Yang from CAPI USA, um, talking with us. And today we wanted to continue that conversation. The election is nearing. November 8th is election day. And I think there are some... There are some folks who are nervous about it. There are some folks who are afraid of what will happen day of, uh, what would happen, you know, if the election results aren't what some folks want, what their reaction might be. Um, there's concerns about who's being election judges this year, who's being selected and what that process looks like. Um, so, you know, I don't know what it's like for you guys. I am I'm never afraid to go vote at my location, it's a little church two blocks from my house. My husband and I always go together. And it's usually like, it's usually retired people who are who are there doing um, as poll workers. My, uh, my sister's father-in-law used to do it. He was retired. Um, he, and so it was his thing that he did every two years. He would go and do be an election judge, you know, you're paid for training and then you're paid for the day of. So it's a really nice thing for folks who are retired or students or something to to ha- to make a little money. Um, but now folks are concerned that the political parties are inserting their own folks as election judges and poll workers. Um, I've, you know, I've had issues with poll workers before. Uh, as I mentioned in our last show, I drive among elders to their polling places and I help to translate for them. I've had people tell me I'm not allowed to translate and that it was illegal. I've had people um, turn away uh, people of color while I was standing there and I've had to interject myself to say, you know, that's not right. That's not, you know, he has, he can vote. He just needs this, this and this type of paperwork to prove he moved into this neighborhood, you know, and those sorts of things. And so I always just think that it's, I guess I try to give the benefit of the doubt and say that these poll workers are um, uninformed or um, are mistaken. But it's very, you know, very well could be that it was, it's intentional. Yeah, you know, there are so many ways that poll workers can begin to influence the integrity of an, an election. And to be clear, poll workers are intended to be nonpartisan and they're usually temporary and they're usually local. So depending on whomever is hosting that election for that particular precinct or district, you'll have then the locals uh, recruit poll workers. And once the on election day, I should say, uh, the poll worker, in terms of their duties, are typically checking voter IDs, handing you the ballot, helping an elderly or disabled uh, voters uh, go ahead and cast their ballot, updating voter registration information for that date. You know, maybe you have a change of address and basically maintain a safe and orderly polling place. So if you think about 
how poll workers can become disruptive, which is now a, a, a concern nationally. The Bipartisan Policy Center is a national organization that, that is uh, being very vocal about this. Um, there, is, there are concerns that these poll workers then will begin to insert their political values to thwart any of this. Say, for instance, denying someone the ability to vote because of their IDs or mm -hmm. denying the ability for someone to uh, have the help of a, an interpreter or a translator, as you said, Khali, um, and, and turning people away, right? Intimidating folks. In Michigan, for instance, in Kent City, a Republican poll worker was charged recently with two felonies uh, for tampering with an election computer in their August primary. So just a couple months ago, this this mm. is now has happened. Uh, and that that poll worker was clearly a Republican and clearly trying to then influence the outcome of the election. And then there was report about um, an individual named Cleta Mitchell, who's a conservative lawyer, who um, mm -hmm. has been recruiting right-wing um, activists to serve as poll workers in her home area and across the country as well. So that is right now the current uh, trepidation that I've been reading about across the country. And if you think about it, uh, it makes sense because people are still this. We're recording this in October of 2022, which is almost two years after the, the November 2020 election results, after the new president was sworn in. People are still debating and still challenging the results from the November 2020 election that resulted in the election of our current sitting president. So you begin to think about and put this all together. What does this mean for our democracy? Uh, Minnesota has, as we noted in our last segment, has had the highest voter turnout rate uh, for the last three years running for the general election. And they we tend to vote uh, strongly in midterm. Midterms are, are substantially less of a turnout. But if you begin to, to look at these issues, you can begin to imagine how this will begin to intimidate some voters, not all, but this is a concern for us all because we're voting should be, the process of voting should be nonpartisan. What you and I do in that voting booth is solely our own business. It's no one else's business. And, and the process of setting it up and making sure that um, folks are able to get in and get out should be nonpartisan. And it's, it's unnerving for me, I'll say this for myself, to begin to see that some folks are trying to inject partisanship in a position as a poll worker that has historically been preserved as nonpartisan. The very individuals who are still claiming two years later that the election was stolen and are the individuals now who are um, intimidating folks to go vote or from voting. And I mean, it happened during the election in, in, in 2020 um, a lot of those folks were showing up at the polls, intimidating folks. Um, you know, 
I have to admit, I, I, you know, it's not anything that I worry about voting. I'm going to vote on election day. Um, I didn't want to mess with the absentee ballot this time because I just didn't want, I, I didn't want anything to happen um, to ensure that my absentee ballot was counted. I want to make sure my vote counted. So I'm going to vote in person. But, you know, I live in a pretty relatively safe community. And, you know, like most of the, or like Kelly said, the, the, uh, the, the, the poll workers tend to be older, tend to be retired. And, and the population that tends to vote in the community that I live fits the norm of, of, uh, or of the aggregate voters who go out and vote um, are older, older white Americans, right? And so, I don't think that you know. So, and being intimidated to vote um, wasn't anything on my radar. But so these articles really, really surprised me that you know that there's that there's a. Um, Reuters put out an article where they did a little poll and um, two out of five U.S. voters are, are feeling that uh, are feeling that um, there's going to be intimidation that happens at the polling places. You know, I find that absolutely incredible. But when you think of all the rhetoric that, you know, we're being bombarded with, I mean, for me, it's not the fear of voting. It's the. It's the constant bombardment of these uh, um, election ads. And, you know, <laughs> those aren't, they're, you know, and I find one side of those ads uh, somewhat intimidating um, to me personally, you know. Um, so for me, the intimidation is coming from, um, from some of these campaign ads other than just being utterly frustrated that I'm being bombarded with these ads day in and day out. I mean, you can't turn and in on the mail any, I, you can't turn. I mean, even, even in our local election here, someone sent out a mailer with some kind of, um, false information about a candidate who's running for local, a local office here in the community where I live, and I was involved. I was part of the part of the incident that happened here in our in our community um, as a result of uh, of uh, George Floyd, and um, somebody mailed out a nice twelve by eight um, glossy cardboard mailer to I think everybody in our community with this false information about uh, about events surrounding um, a uh, march that we had here um, in um, to show support for individuals who had had their their Black Lives Matter signs stolen and uh, defaced and um, so to me it's those kind of things that I, you know, and again, it's, 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 uh, it's those kind of messages that I find, um, that are annoying, filled with dog whistles, 
Um, and I think people, because of that, I think people are, some folks might be feeling fearful about going to vote. And it's, it's a shame. I mean, that, you know, the, the very voting is one of your major rights as a citizen to voice your, to place your vote. I mean, you know, it's a basic right you have as soon as you turn 18. And, um, and the fact that people are feeling intimidated, it, it, it saddens me because of the, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, pulse of our, our country right now. Don, you know that Doc. Oh, sorry, Don. The 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 political mailer that you referenced. Uh, I'm familiar with that document, and not only was it false and misleading, but it it was really centered on fear tactics. It was centered on um, instilling mm-hmm. fear mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the in the voters so that they would not vote for um, the challenger who is who was being attacked in that mailer versus the incumbent who is currently sitting and, and serving as the mayor. And what I, I, when I saw that document, that mailer, the political um, mailer, which given the size of it, like you said, 12 by 10 and glossy high color, it was a very expensive piece. So, you know, it was well-funded for one. Right. But the other part that, that struck me is the theme that there are certain uh, candidates running both locally as well as nationally and, of course, state as why, uh, statewide here in Minnesota. And their tactics are based on fear. It's fear-mongering. It's pressuring folks to really uh, vote from a fear basis rather than what what we would like to see as a society. You know, uh, when I think about voting, I vote because I want the values that I hold to be the values that the elected leader holds, right? With, without any partisanship, that's what I hope to, to, to do and create a better community, a more inclusive, equitable community for us all locally, nationally, and of course, across the state as well. But that's completely different than the tactics that are being employed by some of these uh, candidates, which is all fear mongering. And I just have to wonder as, as an individual who is driven by that, you know, where, what does it say about them as candidates and the proposed voters that they're reaching out to that they would find that to be persuasive that you are in a fear, fearful mode all the time. When we think about being and in, in operating from fear, there are typically three psychological reactions, right? Flight, fight, or freeze. Um, none of those are healthy, right? And if you look at this, those are, that's the expected, you know, intended um, reaction that I had. When I looked at that, I just thought nothing in this mailer resonates would resonate with me and i have i have no inclination to believe any of this stuff because of the way it was it was written in a very uh salacious way right but you got to wonder like 
is this based on research? Is this messaging, does this message work for some folks? I mean, you, you've got to, you've got to wonder. I, I do when I pick up things like that and I wonder who did the research? Why do they think messaging like this will work? And who is their, you know, intended because audience? Because it does work. Fear mongering works. My mom gets all these, fly, you know, these flyers and mailers and stuff. And she'll be like, oh, I heard, you know, so-and-so did this and this and that. Because she got it in the mail. It looks professional. It looks like somebody had done all the research, you know. And she's, you know, her English is not her first language. It's not like she can go on Google and look all this stuff up herself. So she... He, gets those mailers and she takes them all very seriously. And it it really gets to a point where I think a lot of people are just like, I don't know who to vote for because it seems like everybody, there's attack ads on everybody, right? So it's like, oh, candidate A did all this bad stuff. Candidate B did all this bad stuff. And so then people are in the middle going, well, who do I vote for if everything I hear about the candidates is bad? Because fear-mongering, it works. Well, not just that, and you're totally right, Luz. You're totally right, Hilly. You know, Luz. Personally, when when that when I got that flyer, I was I was part of the organizing effort, and this flyer outright lied by saying this potential candidate was the one who who made the decision to have a certain group come in to provide protection. And that's couldn't be furthest from the truth. I don't, she wasn't even part of the discussion when it was decided that this group, and it was, it was totally, there was someone else in the group who was the per, who, who was the one who suggested this. It had nothing to do with the candidate that's running. It, it, it was an outright lie. And and uh, because I was there, <laughs> I was I was part of the discussions, and and um, so you know the fear market, the the uh, intimidation that people are feeling. You know, I I feel for some of the poll workers because some of them must be fearful. Again, I don't think it will happen in our community, and and it makes so it makes me wonder where it would happen because I don't see folks going to North Minneapolis to intimidate anybody in North Minneapolis from voting. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, I, it's a lot of those locations. Cause I, when I used to, um, I had done some reporting about like a after the election, asking people coming out, uh, you know, after they voted, like, Oh, how was it? you know, blah, 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 that same kind of news media stuff that you see after every election, right? There are certain locations that are so on the cusp of going one direction or the other that, that, that those are the targeted locations. Like in my neighborhood, it's fairly blue. And so we don't get a lot of canvassers. Um, we don't get a lot of of flyers or people don't focus. Maybe they don't focus on us because we're in the hood. I don't know if that's the reason, but you know, I don't see a lot of that here in my neighborhood either. Um, but I have seen it as a, as going out as a reporter to different locations where there are a lot of people who are just hanging out outside the, the place to vote in these really close races. 
You know, and and as much as it's illegal for you to wear a shirt that says vote so and so, there are people I think who I mean, I did see somebody try once. This was before, you know, 2016, um try to go in with a sticker and the poll worker did turn them away and say you can't come in here with that sticker on, you know. But at that point, I'm like, damage done. She's been walking around here with that sticker already before the poll worker, you know, saw this person. Um, so there's there's certain locations, I think, that people are really focused on. Um, there's also, you know, mail, mail-in voting and dropping off your um, ballot. There's some intimidation there, too, in Arizona, where there have been, there are armed men outside of the ballot box in Mesa, Arizona. They're saying that they just want to make sure that everybody is, you know, doing the right thing and voting and getting the the ballot into the right places. But they're sitting in their pickup trucks wearing masks and with guns. And people are and they're out in the open. There's video, you know, people driving by have video of these people. And so it's like. Even if they're sitting there saying, well, we're not interfering. We're just saying that, you know, we want to be sure your ballot gets into the box. That's intimidation sitting outside with a gun all masked up. Well, especially you're, yeah, you're especially, you're exactly right. And you're especially right coming off of the January 6th insurrection, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. anyone Mm who has watched the footage of the January 6th insurrection and then the more detailed uh, footage with regard to the January 6th committee hearings and all the footage there with folks who are armed and they're, you know, they have these high powered um, weapons. I I would feel intimidated if I would see somebody sitting outside of a polling place with a, a gun espousing to a you know protect my rights as a voter and it's like that's not how you protect rights you protect rights by minding your own business and and following the law um i don't need someone visibly there trying to intimidate other voters or myself um that's really concerning i hadn't heard i mean really the the wearing um the you know wearing the camo and wearing you know, the stuff that you saw all those people at the, at the insurrectionists wear. If I walked up to a ballot box and I saw those guys in the parking lot, I'd walk away. That, would, that doesn't mean I wouldn't vote. I would just not be dropping my ballot off at that time. Because it is scary. It's scary as a person of color. It's scary as a woman if I went by myself. You know, there's two men in a car with guns watching you. That's not, I mean, no person would feel safe like that anywhere you know i'm glad you raised the gender uh issue because don i was going to ask you that earlier when you said uh you don't feel intimidated in your where you go to vote and is that because of a where you vote uniquely or b in combination that and you as a man who's of a certain height because you're you're a tall guy uh compared to me Compared to Hui, right? Well, I mean, I think Lou's the answer is A and B. So I think you know, I think gender has something to do with it. I am a big male. Um, I don't easily get intimidated, um, especially by white males. 
Uh, they do not intimidate me, whether they have a gun or not. Um, you know, and, and, and we've touched on, I think, you know, we've touched on this topic, or I have, that these individuals are showing up intimidating in the, you know, they claim by being there, they're there to enforce um, election integrity. The, the hypocrisy the, in, in that messaging just, it just blows me away. I mean, the, you know, the very foundation of our democracy, I think, is, 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 uh, is being questioned, is, is actually <clears throat> being shaken from, from the roots. And, um, but I'm not intimidated. I mean, if my forefathers, you know, I, uh, finding my roots, Henry Louis Gates, and there was a segment on there um, where they were talking about, you know, they're talking about uh, Black America and they're talking about the history, but they had a couple of instances, and oh no, and Finding My Roots, where one of the guests was Black and they traced their ancestors back and actually found um, um, documents that showed who their ancestors were while they were enslaved. Uh, there were th three counties in the United States who actually listed the slaves by their names. And one of their ancestors, this person that was on the program, one of their ancestors happened to be in that county. Three counties in the United States, only three. And one of their ancestors, but they were able to show that within a year or two of being freed from slavery, this individual walked in, registered to vote. I, you know, to me, that is absolutely incredible to go from slavery to voting. And then I mentioned to my wife, you know, <laughs> while that was showing, I said, look at this. It still took another 54 years before we as Native Americans could vote because they didn't make us U.S. citizens until 1924. So, you know, freed, freed Africans were able to vote after they were freed. We still couldn't vote for another 50 years after that. I mean, think about that, until 1924. So because of that, um, I make sure I vote. You know, no one's going to intimidate me not to vote uh, because your vote is important, especially in this current climate we find ourselves in. You know, we can't tell you, you know, as as African-Americans, as Native Americans, we are not uh, a homogenous community. Right. Our you know, our political views fall all over the place. And so no one's going to tell you who to vote for. But man, you got to use your 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 um, your democratic right to go do it, and don't let others intimidate you. You know. But then again, but that's easy for me because I'm a male, right? There's this fear, I think, among the left that, like, you know, what's the point? You know, there's a, there's a lot of folks just going, what's the point? What's the point? Our vote doesn't matter. Um, there's also a lot of fear that, you know, our democracy is dying. 
So it's like if you are sitting at home saying my vote doesn't matter and then you're fearing the death of our democracy, you know, that's a direct connection. You you need to go vote. Uh, if that's the big fear. I mean, that's what everybody's talking right, about, right? Is our, our democracy is dying. You know, there's all this stuff wrong with it. So you got to vote to to not let our democracy die. But then then there's fear of, you know, your vote, your vote not being counted because of, you know, election tampering. So there's this fear like, you know, our democracy is dying. Then there's, there's a fear that your vote's not going to count because somehow it's going to be tampered with. And so, I don't know, it, it does make me feel very, like, defeated, you know, in that there's so many things that seem could go wrong, and we've seen a lot of them go wrong in the last election, that it, it disheartens a lot of people, and it makes them not want to vote, and that's not the answer. That's not the answer to not vote because you're unhappy about it or because you're afraid your vote won't count. That's right. And the only way to ensure that it will count and that we will have our rights uh, represented in our elected leaders is to, in fact, show up to the polls and vote. And if you are feeling uneasy about going in person, as we said in our last segment, you can vote absentee. You can walk into your local library or other public building where the absentee votes uh, or ballots are being cast in Minnesota and elsewhere around the country and drop your ballot in that way, right? And physically fill out the ballot while you're there um, and then put it into the election machine at that point. And that, that you know, in. I think that um, that would be one easy way for folks to vote absentee is by using that process because there is a significant difference this year than there was in the last election. Um, um, with the absentee ballots, and that was because of COVID, anyone could vote absentee, and you did not need to have it notarized by someone or witnessed by someone. Now you need to have that ballot witnessed. It doesn't mean that they're going to sit there and watch you actually fill out your vote, but they're going to. But you need to have someone sign that they witnessed that you are the one who voted. And, and so you do need to have that on that. And, and that's an easy way to do it by going to your, your, your public library and having it done. I hope that we get a, di a we need to get a different, different demographic to vote. We need people from 18 to 60 to actually vote. And I'm, I was, I was sitting here trying to think of which election where I went and voted at my, polling place, which was right across the alley. How convenient was that? And it was the first time I saw so many college students standing in line to vote. It blew me away, but I have not seen that since then. You know what I mean? And, and that was probably over 20, 20 years ago because it was uh, right. It was before Gabby, my daughter was born. So um, that's what we need to have happen. We, we need, we need more people to, to take part and exercise that. Right. I feel like every year during every year on election day, like if, if my husband and I are out eating, we, we ask everybody, like we'll ask the hosts or, uh, at the restaurant, like, Hey, did you go vote today? 
I will ask our waitress, did you get did you get a chance to go vote today? And some of the excuses are just amazing that they come with why they couldn't, why they didn't vote. You know, oh, I was really busy today or um, I'm working a 10 hour shift. And I'm like, you know, legally you're allowed time off to go vote and all this stuff. And it's like people are, are not informed about all of the rights they have around voting. They're not informed about all the ways they can vote. They're, you know, because things are so different state to state, Minnesota does have same day voter registration. So if even if you didn't register to vote before November 8th, you can show up at your polling place and register to vote there. And they're just, you know, if you're new to a neighborhood and you haven't had all your addresses and stuff changed, you can bring somebody, uh, a neighbor to vouch for you. I mean, there's different ways of doing things. And I think a lot of people just say, oh, there's this you know, I have to work today or, oh, I forgot to change my address on my driver's license. I'm just not going to go. It almost seems like voting has become an inconvenience. Um, complaining is not an inconvenience. Going online, going on socials and complaining is not an inconvenience. But when you have to leave your house, take your kids with you, we take our dogs with us, you know, and have to drive really far. Like the polling place in my mom's neighborhood changed um, after the last midterm election, and she didn't know where it was. She went to her old spot. And so, you know, finding the right location, there's ways you can do that. I mean, there's just a lot of things that people find as barriers that have been put in, that have been put in place um, to keep them fo from voting, and then there are barriers people put up for themselves. Yeah, you know, I, I couldn't agree with both you, uh, couldn't agree more with both you and Don. Don, with regard to the segment, I mean, we, as we said in our last segment uh, with Counter Stories, the segment that has had the lowest turnout rate for midterm in particular is ages 18 to 30. So the plea for today is for all 18 and from 18 year old to 30 year olds to get out there and vote. And if you as a listener don't fall within that demographic, then we ask that you uh, encourage your family members or friends who have members of their family in that age range to really encourage folks to get out the vote so that Minnesota can continue to have and be a leader in terms of voter, voter turnout. Um, and then with Hali, with your uh, point as well, uh, with folks creating barriers. Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard them as well. And, you know, some of it might be, where do they see themselves in the struggle, right? Where do they see themselves in the, um, what it does in terms of impact, in terms of their values? Uh, and then I would, I would also say, you know, some of it might be because they didn't come from a tradition of voting. Um, we touched a little bit about this in our last segment. Uh, I did because my parents really stressed voting and, and the aldermen in Chicago would come and, and try to quote unquote, secure the votes uh, of certain elected leaders in a certain way. Uh, but we, as my husband and I raised our two daughters who are now adults, every time we voted, we took the, the girls with us and they got their voted um, stickers. And to this day, they, they are very consistent with voting at all elections, um, irrespective of, where they live, you know, we've got one daughter who's out of state and uh, she votes in her home state as a result of that. So I think there, there are probably quite a number of 
factors that go into this. And I think it invites our listeners to think about who in their circle is struggling with the voting, you know, who in their circle can they begin to influence, whether they're family members or neighbors or friends or coworkers even. Um, and then I think the other part of this is to think about and ask yourself, what are your values that you really want to make sure are values that the rest of society can benefit from? You know, those who are facing financial distress, those who are facing housing insecurity, those who are facing food insecurities. Uh, we know that those are all pressing issues as they've been covered by mainstream media and local media so much, you know, over the course of the last year. Uh, and I would say even further into that due to the pandemic and the results from that. So if, if there's a plea for our audience uh, with this segment, it's help us get out the vote, right? In a nonpartisan way, we're simply saying to exercise your franchise as Americans in this country to make sure that our democracy remains. The world is watching, literally. You know, if you listen to international news, whether it's the BBC or Al Jazeera or any of the other outlets, folks are constantly making comments about how they're nervous about the U.S. democracy falling uh, because of all these indicators that they're seeing from their standpoints. One thing I would say is imagine you traveling abroad. And this happened to us, uh, my husband and I, when we were in Iceland, where people would just be like, yo, what's up with your president? You know, like everybody like kind of knew. So it's like if you plan on traveling internationally, you want to be proud of who your elected officials are, you, you know. And so if you can feel like you if you feel like you can travel and be proud of who your elected officials are, like that's what you need to keep in mind to go and vote because you the world is watching every time I travel abroad, people comment on whatever is politically happening. I mean, I'm in the villages of Thailand and people are asking about it. It's just so important to to tell your siblings, your aunties and uncles, your kids, you know, remind them, hey, election day is coming up. Let me know if you need a ride. Here's the website you can go to, mnvotes.org. Uh, you can find your sample ballot. I do that before every election. I print out my sample ballot and I research every person on that ballot before I go to vote, you know. And so there are a lot of ways that you can get around some of these barriers that are put up to keep us from voting. And you just need to make the time and you need to make the effort. And you need to remember the struggles that all of our ancestors have gone through, right? My my need to vote came from my grandpa, as I mentioned in the last show. He said, this is what we fought for. We fought to come to this country and, we, and as part of, and being a part of this country means voting. So, you know, I text everybody, hey, election day is today. Be sure to get out and vote. I try not to tell them who to vote for. Um, but, you know, that's my family. So, <laughs> and I'll do, you know, and everybody wants the I voted sticker on, to put on socials. So November 8th is the election here in Minnesota. And just want to remind everybody to get out to vote, no matter which side you vote for. Get out there, vote, and bring someone with you to make sure we get a good turnout. And so we can be sure our democracy doesn't die. 
I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group, Connoisseur's producer, and VP of Programming at Ampers. I'm Don Eubanks, associate of Dendros Group and member of the Malax Banner with Ojibwe Indians. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the state of Minnesota. Any comments and opinions that I've stated are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer. Thanks for listening and go vote. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For our full conversation, please visit counterstories.com. <laughs>